Hey, it's Jeff. Thanks for joining me on the Enrealment Hour podcast. Speaking of enrealment, my first Enrealment Method course will begin soon on soulshapinginstitute.com. If you're interested in exploring a way of being and a spirituality that is both grounded and purposeful, link in the show notes. Course begins on September 13th, 2023. In this podcast, I got to speak to Michelle Madrid, one of my former students who has really found her writing voice. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Michelle is a powerhouse life coach and guidance mentor who's passionate about igniting the light within every adoptee and woman she coaches. She seeks soulful modalities of healing to support individuals in feeling a deeper connectedness with themselves and with others. Michelle is a former foster child from the United Kingdom and an international adoptee. She understands the nuances of this lived experience and considers it a great honor to guide her clients back home to themselves as they embrace a deeper sense of identity and calling. Michelle is a Congressional Angels in Adoption honoree, as well as an inductee to the New Mexico Women's Hall of Fame. She's a former Emmy-nominated television news journalist and an in-demand speaker. Her illuminating content and coaching offerings can be found at themichellemadrid.com. Her forthcoming book, and this is our point of focus today in our conversation, is called Let Us Be Greater, A Gentle Guided Path to Healing for Adoptees. It's releasing in October through New World Library. Michelle is also a proud mother, animal lover, equestrian, and a world traveler who feels at home no matter where she is because she has found her home within. She's done a lot of work on herself. Adoption is a fascinating subject for me. I've been very connected to people who've been adopted and work with many who are seeking to find their own unique path and purpose, often while working through their own feelings of early life rejection and the difficulty of finding a sense of belonging in our world. It is such an important thing to talk about and to bring out into the open. And Michelle does a great job of doing that both in the book and in the following dialogue. But first, let's drop into our hearts for a moment with a little bit of Trevor Hall's song, Arrows, the perfect door opener for our conversation. Michelle, so good to have you with me today. Thank you. Hey, Jeff, I am so honored to be here with you today. Thank you. <laughs> so we're going to talk about your soon-to-be-released book through New World Library called Let Us Be Greater, A Gentle Guided Path to Healing for Adoptees, um, which I have read um, and endorsed um, excitedly. I'll say a little bit more about it later, but, you know, we were just talking before I clicked the on button about what sort of brought us together in this. And um, I think it's sort of an interesting story. So maybe if you'd like to share a little bit about that before we get into the book itself. No, oh, absolutely. I, it was pandemic time, you know, and I remember finding you, I 
think it was on social media. Maybe a friend of mine shared a quote from you. And I was like, oh, it's just, you know, something about the way you wrote. And it, it, it touched me so deeply. And so I did my research and I found my way into, um, I found my way into your soul shaping institute and courses there and literally was finding my way home as an international adoptee and working to heal, you know, my abandonment wounds. And I remember having a moment where I I got the courage to ask you a question within one of the courses. And, and I say that because I was questioning my own voice at, at the time. And really, if I even had one, and if I did, if it really mattered. You said to me, you answered the question so kindly and generously. And then you said, rest well, writer. And I remember catching my breath, like, writer? And I write, but am I a writer? Is this beautiful soul named Jeff Brown seeing something in me that I'm still struggling to see within myself? And indeed, that was the case. But the affirmation, the affirming of that part of myself that you so graciously gifted me in that message changed the course of everything for me. And I started truly to believe in my ability as a writer, that I had something to share with the world that could help another soul along the way. And it has led ultimately to the writing of Let Us Be Greater. And so I send truly from the deepest part of my soul, my gratitude to you. Hmm. Well, I, I think I remembered you from the the writing your way home course and fine writing. Um, but isn't it? It's such an amazing thing. I mean, maybe we'll get into this sort of part of the self concept issues that sometimes are associated with the adoptee experience. Perhaps more self doubt than your average bear or something. Maybe, but I know you then sent me the book to see if I was willing or interested in endorsing it and. There's a lot in that book. I mean, I, I don't know how long it took you. We'll get into that in a moment. But it's packed with, um, with I mean, subjective experience in a way that's very relatable and accessible. It's packed with exercises and affirmations that are, they're not flaky. They're, um, they have like meat to them um, and feet to them, um, which is something I'm always looking for in the world of affirmations, of course. And um, and I, I, you know, I've had a lot of exposure to people who were adopted and um, understand some of the struggles that sometimes come with that, that are quite unique in and of themselves. And I just found the book to be, um, in a very real way, magnificent. And I don't always feel that way about books I'm asked to endorse or even about books of my own that I've written. But I, I really just feel like it's, um, you're not only a writer, I mean, but you're also somebody who's writing from a very informed personal experience. And it, it almost feels as though it had reached this sort of tipping point internally, where once you had a little boost of confidence, there was so much ready to come through you. Was that your experience of writing it? Absolutely. I was ready. It took my whole life to write this book. You know, how long have I been writing it? 
um, from as long as I can remember way, 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 way back when I was a little girl really struggling with my own identity as an international adoptee and feeling so invisible in my life and misunderstood and lost and alone in so many ways. It has taken me decades to write this book. And yes, indeed, I arrived at the tipping point with help from you reminding me that Indeed, I could do this, that I am a writer and I had within me the information, the wealth of information that um, had been, you know, curated over my lifetime and that this was indeed the time to write the book. Absolutely. Um, That was my experience. It is my experience. And I look at the book now. I mean, I have the galley of the book here, but I hold it. And I say, there you are. There you are. And it reminds me of of moments in my own journey of self-awakening, self-love, self-discovery, self-knowing, where I looked at myself in the mirror. And and within those, those moments, those points of light, those points of grace in my life, I've looked at myself and said, oh, there you are. There you are. There's that flicker of light that you that you somehow know is within you, um, but but there it is beginning to shine through. It's been a beautiful journey. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. Tell us a little bit about your experience as an adoptee and as an adoptive mother as well, um, because that informs so much of the wisdom that comes through the, the book itself. Yeah. Yes, I... I was born right here where I'm sitting in the United Kingdom. I've been in my country of origin, my birth country, um, for the last couple of weeks now, reconnecting as I will do um, a few times a year. Very meaningful for me. Um, so it's very, I feel it's very appropriate that I'm sitting here now um, speaking with you from my my birth country. Um, I was born here in England um, in an area called Bury St. Edmunds, Suffolk, England, not far from Cambridge. And I was born to an English mother and a Spanish father. My first mother, as I like to refer to her, some people might say bio mom or birth mother, I call my um, my mom, my first mother, and she was married at the time um, that she was pregnant with me. She had three children and she had an affair with my father. I was ultimately placed in foster care. And within foster care, I was labeled, you know, I call it my my logos of limitation. I it was labeled heavily in foster care as a, a dark child, an illegitimate child, an unwanted child. You know, all of these terms are in my foster records. And um, I just grew up with this deep, deep, deep feeling of being somehow tainted and and dirty. I I I can't explain it more, Jeff, than it was this this constant feeling of unworthiness, of somehow being left, thrown away, unwanted, undesirable. Um, and I can remember even after I was adopted, feeling that way. And even adoption didn't take that away. So many people, as, as you know, I was adopted by an American family, um, brought to America to live. And there were so many people around me saying, Oh, you're so lucky. 
Um, you should be so grateful. Um, what a good thing this is that your parents did this by taking you in. And I just remember feeling each and every time those sort of comments were made to me, just a sense of unworthiness as if I was charity and not really a part of a family. And I couldn't figure out how to how to weave myself into a family, um, how to feel at home inside of this family that I'd been given through adoption. And even, you know, deeper than that, how do I feel at home within myself? I just felt like such an alien in my life. And growing up inside of that adopted family, I also was growing up with um, an adoptive father who was an alcoholic. He really struggled with alcoholism and much of his anger would spill out onto me. And I felt like I somehow disgusted him. I mean, this is just the truth that um, I somehow was viewed in his eyes as um, unwanted, not really a child that he wanted. He would tell me that I was a gift for my mother and how I turned out either good or bad was completely up to her. And I wanted to be adored by him. I wanted my my dad to adore me. And I didn't feel adored by him. And I didn't feel adored by the first father who left me either. And so I felt a deep, deep abandonment wound from that father figure side of, of my growing up and my development, along with feelings of being left behind by my first mother. And so I I just remember feeling very alone, very misunderstood. And when I would try to speak my, my worries, my hurts, my fears, my confusion, my questions with my adoptive mother, she would say, I saved you from a really hard place. Just be grateful. And that would end the conversation. And there was so much buried so deep within myself. I felt such a heavy sense of guilt for even having those thoughts, even feeling my very real feelings as I grew up. And it um, it was a wound that I just didn't know how to get to for a very long time. You know, and I know you talk about the connection between these experiences and senses of self and the way one moves through the world. How How do you feel? That all of that, including the self-concept stuff that naturally arises from that kind of experience, lived itself out in your adult life. In my adult life, I I definitely brought um, the people pleaser along with me. I learned very young that I needed to please everyone around me in in my mind if I was going to stay safe. If, If there was any chance of me feeling loved, I better be what my adoptive mother wanted me to be her, you know, incredible little girl who was winning, you know, beauty pageants and was a cheerleader and a straight A student and um, felt very good about being adopted. She would tell me all the time, adoption means love. And that's the end of the story. And, and so I, I chanted that mantra to myself into my adulthood. I'm okay. And I'm, I have to be perfect. I have to hide those pieces of myself that are very much imperfect. Um, I've got to hide those things away. And so I feel like as an adult, um, there was always this reach to be perfect 
to have the best career. Um, you know, I became a television news journalist. I look back at that time now, although in many respects, enjoyed that experience. I look back and see a young woman who was desperate to be seen and to be known and to be um, embraced and welcomed into people's households on their televisions. You know, I, I so wanted to be seen and adored. I kept that, um, I think, behavior pattern, you know, going into my adulthood. But it didn't matter the success that I reached what that looked like on the outside, on the inside, I just felt completely depleted of worth. And I couldn't wrap my head around at the time why with the success that it appeared that I had, I felt so completely worthless on the inside. And so there was a lot of people pleasing. There was a lot of living, I think, at arm's distance, not really letting people in not trusting that they would stay. I was always looking for the crack, you know, in the surface. Um, It will go away at some point. Don't let yourself get too close to this person or this situation. Nothing ever lasts anyway. And so I saw love and relationship. Life really is just a very fragile thing. And if I could just even though I wanted to be big, you know, on, on television, that was, that was sort of my belief. I wanted to be seen in that way. I also wanted to be very, very small in order to avoid rejection because that fear of rejection was always bubbling right under the surface. Right. Because with visibility comes a much greater possibility for rejection and forms of abandonment. Yeah. 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 And so what prompted you to adopt? How old were you and what just what where did that come from? My my eldest son came to me biologically. You know, it was um great it was a, such a great gift to carry this child um inside of me and to birth him in that way and to connect with another person that was, you know, part of my, I guess, own DNA. You know, it was um, quite a moment for me to, to become a mother for the first time in my way. And after that, I felt a, a calling to adopt and it was a very strong calling and not to go out and save a child, not because I felt like I needed to fill something inside of myself at the time, but adoption sort of came into my life and I opened up my heart and my mind to perhaps that might be the way or a way for me to um, parent a child, mother, a child and a tells another human being that I understand. I I searched all of my life for someone who could look at me and say, I understand this experience. And I don't want to define what adoption means for you. I want to help guide you to your own understanding of what this journey means and what it looks like. And if there might be a child out there in the world that I could give those gifts too, I would be willing to do it. And so adopted my son, Ian from Russia and my daughter, Eviana from Ethiopia. 
And parenting them, mothering them has, again, been such a, a journey. It has expanded my heart and my soul. I have seen from a different perspective their struggles, their questions, but I've also heard from them many, many times. I'm so glad that you understand, Mom. And I always make sure, you know, Jeff, to honor their birth stories, their original stories, their birth cultures, their birth families, and weave that into the life that we have together. I consider our family a shared family and we cover the miles, right? And and within that, there is just, I think, a thread of knowing that weaves me to my kids who are adopted that family is um, complex and it always is adopted or not, right? But if we can just go to love and if we can go to inclusion and if I can honor their first chapters as I have worked to honor my own, um, we have a real chance at creating a family where through adoption, where kids feel truly seen and known and understood, and they don't feel like they have to live dissected from their truth, from themselves, or from those ancestors who um, share their origins. I think that's very important. Absolutely. Have they um, read any part of the book? You know, they have asked questions along the way. And they are very eager to read the book. And um, I am very excited to share it with them. In fact, I look forward to gifting the book to them, all three of my children, because, you know, adoption impacts all of us. And it has impacted my first um, born son. And he has seen the, I think, through an intimate lens what it looks like um, to to form a family in this way. Mm-hmm. It's far from perfect it, as life is. It's an imperfect journey, but I just believe you got to hold a lot of grace over it and create that sacred space of understanding and hearing another person and hearing your child's perspective and view and never, ever, ever trying to force your perspective on them. I could mm-hmm. never do mm-hmm. One of the things you talked about in the book was this, this line that's familiar to me. People have talked to me about this in session work. Um, you don't need to know. Uh, tell us about you don't need to know and why you feel that that is... I mean, is that the right thing to say to an adopted child at a certain age and stage? Is it never the right thing to say? And I guess, do they always need to know? Mm. The knowing. Um, you don't need to know is so commonly and often said to adoptees, whether it's you don't need to know your medical information. You don't need to know the names of your first parents. You don't need to know about your your culture or your country of nationality if you're internationally adopted. 
I believe that you do need to know. And that needs to be led by the adoptee in the appropriate ways at the appropriate time. But I and and knowing can look different to every adoptee. And it may just, you know, it may be I I I need to know my medical information. I need to know my ethnicity because I feel that pulsing within my veins. And I I would like to flesh that out a little more. I feel like saying to another human being, you don't need to know. Um, is is very damaging and certainly for the adoptee because we very much do need to know. And again, that's going to look differently for each individual. But I think it's it is very damaging. It was said to me many, many times, and adoptees I coach have have said, you know, I've I've been told so many times I don't need to know, but I do need to know. And I need to know the information that feels important for me, life affirming to me, and to have that held back from me and another person to lock away information that is mine to know if I if I so desire and seek that out is is very hurtful um, along this adoptee experience. And so saying, you know, I don't need to know, I I, I really do struggle with with those words because, again, I believe it is an adoptee's right to know if and when they desire information that could help unlock doors in their life that have been maybe locked for years and years and years. Do you think there's a connection between sort of the, the um, satisfaction the adoptee has with the experience that they're adopted into and the need to know. Um, I only ask this because I can think was thinking about when I was reading your book that different people I knew who didn't have a very gratifying adoption experience really needed to know what happened before that. Um, and whereas others who seem to be really, really experienced their adoptive parents as their true parents without any sort of uncertainty about that, they didn't seem to care so much about how it happened. I guess because it worked out okay for them. Is that, is that, is that consistent with your experience? Yeah, that can be where an adoptee who's had a very loving experience, maybe felt very much a part of their family, maybe never have felt a desire to, to know what came before. Um, I, yes, absolutely. They may not feel the need to know. Whereas someone who, um, had a more challenging experience, maybe didn't feel fully accepted within their adoptive family, might desire more information to maybe fill holes within themselves that that feel very open, the the gaping wound, you know, within. Um, but I do believe that at some time, Jeff, there is a wondering um, and maybe a need to know, even if it's you know, medical information or something that might um, spark some level of curiosity or a desire within. I just believe very strongly that if indeed um, that is felt within the adoptee, that it it should be supported and within loving and sacred space explored. But certainly, again, 
every adoptee, it is, it is very true. The adoptee experience can be as unique and individual as is the adoptee, but there are themes, I think, that can come up for the adoptee throughout their lives, maybe they're not even expecting, that can be triggered through starting your own family, or the loss of an adoptive parent, or or something else where you feel triggered by that moment in your life. And a curiosity then ensues of maybe needing to know something um, to fill some space within yourself. So I don't need to know. I just feel that it's got to be, you may need to know. And if you do at some point feel you need to know, you can give yourself permission to explore in the ways that you need to explore those questions within yourself. Yeah, I mean, I've got to think that the taking the feeling of rejection personally is so fundamental to the journey of a person who's been put up for adoption. Um, Even if in fact they were severed from disconnected from, from the most loving, reasonable and grounded place in the biological parent or parents, Um, you know, a deep belief that under their circumstances, they just weren't going to be able to be a good parent. And, you know, and, and, you know, didn't discard the child, but were conscious about the process and heartbroken in the process. And, um, and it may be very hard without that actual information provided for somebody who's put up for adoption to realize that they weren't, in fact, rejected. Uh, they were honored in a way. Um, and because I do believe that does happen sometimes. And, I mean, if you're, you were to list off, a number of sort of recommendations to people who are considering adopting, you know, they want to have a child. They want or both of them feel like they're ready to have a child. What, what would you recommend to them to, in terms of preparatory stages with respect to themselves and their lives? And, and how might it be different in this case from uh, the recommendations you just give somebody who is just wanting to have a child biologically? Mm. I think it's very important when someone is considering adopting a child to be very real with yourself as to why. Is it to fill some empty space inside of yourself? Is it to save a child that needs a family? I mean, getting very clear um, on that, I think, is key as you start your journey. And, you know, then... Asking yourself also, you know, how am I, am, am I ad- adopting a child and I have this fixed image or this fixed picture of who that child is going to be and the child needs to fit into my sort of preconceived um, image of, you know, who I want this child to be, how, who I want this child to grow up to be. Am I willing to bring in, adopt a child, deliver a child into my family and allow them to grow into being who they're here to be? Am I willing to accept the fact that they have a first story, whether they were adopted at 
one day old, a year old, 10 years old? Am I willing to embrace this concept of shared family, that this child is not a blank slate, that they come with an experience, that they come with a biological family with, um, you know, biological ancestry bubbling through their veins, moving through, um, moving through them. Am I willing to hear my child? Am I willing to be okay if my child comes to me and says, I have questions. I, I feel confused. I'm struggling with my sense of identity, you know, as they, as they go and as they grow. Are we willing to meet them in those harder moments as parents and not take it personally if they say, you're not my real parent, you know, as, as they're trying to explore what that even means to them? Are we willing to hold space for their wanderings and their wanderings as they go and as they grow. I think that's really important is to get very clear on understanding that the adopted child is not a blank slate when they come into your family. There is a history there and honoring that history, even though it might be a hard one. You know, I I, I write in the book that you hear a lot about um, the flaws of the biological family. Every family has flaws. And so we have in, in the narrative of adoption for so many decades, we've focused on the flaws of the, the bio parents. They weren't able to raise you. Um, they had, you know, life challenges. Um, they couldn't be the kind of parent that you needed, those kind of things. And in, in, in understanding that every family is going to have their challenges, adoptive and bio. And so how do we honor even the flaws of the first family? How do we love up on bio parents so that our child can feel free and open to do that as well in their own way. I just think there needs to be an inclusive um, embrace of all that the adoptee um, comes with when they enter an adoptive family. I think that's very important for adoptive parents to know. And just finally, the ability to say, you can come to me and explore with me I'm here to take your hand and guide you along this journey. I'm not here to tell you how you should feel about your own adoption journey, about being adopted. I'm not here to define for you what adoption means to you, but I'm certainly here to love you and support you as you begin to discover and define what adoption means to you. And I think it's very important for every adoptee to be able to come to that definition for themselves. Yeah, I kind of think it's just really important. I can understand somebody adopts a child and they want to do everything in their power to help that child to understand that they are intrinsic to the family they've been adopted into. But to then also hold the space and remember the fact that they do have another ancestral lineage. And even if they never know what that lineage is, that's what's coursing through their veins and what will show up in all kinds of triggers, responses, reactions, uh, ways of being, you know, the things that carry forward generationally and ancestrally within us. And, and that as much as they are part on a heart level 
the family they've been adopted into, they really do come with a different genetic makeup. And and what, if anything, does that mean? And I've got to believe it often means something. And it's, uh, I think that's probably a very interesting, as, as we become more and more aware of the way in which ancestry carries forward within us. Um, I think this is a, a very fine line, something to hold that's where you're validating the experience of being part of the family at the same time, keeping the door open for them to really explore the fact that they are traced back to an entirely different family at the same time. Yeah. And it is a weaving and it is very important. I can remember growing up, you know, and coming back to England and I would see, um, you know, these beautiful caravans with, you know, Roma people, the the gypsies, as, as some will, will call them. And, and I was so fascinated by them. And my adoptive parents, you know, if, if they were with me, or even if I was with um, visiting my, my first mother, as I started doing in my in my mid-teens, I just remember being so fascinated by them and not understanding why when these caravans would pass, I had this inclination to want to jump on and ride away with them. And then as, you know, I moved into adulthood and we have DNA tests now and I did my own DNA testing, I realized, oh, it's because I am one of them. And no wonder I was drawn to them because they are a part of me. And it was such a beautiful discovery. Uh, at the time, I remember just like, oh, it makes perfect sense, right? And I I wanted to embrace that. I didn't know why, but I wanted to. And and I used to feel a little ashamed that I was so taken by them because my remember my adoptive parents sort of shooing me away, you know, but it, it was, it's, it's, it's a part of who I am. It's a part of my ancestry and it pulses within my veins every day, all the time. And I don't want to be, I don't want to be separated from that. I want to feel and give myself permission to feel was coursing through my veins. I want to bring that with me as I enter into my adoptive family, whether I'm able to speak that yet or not, I feel it. And I think a child needs to feel that fluidity of we are, you're you're moving into this, this different family, this new family, this new experience. Yet that part of you doesn't have to be left behind in the dark. And I, I think it's just a, a, if, if parents can understand that, and honor that and not feel um, at all threatened by that as adoptive parents, I think we can really help our young adoptees feel much more whole as they grow. So important, even if they can't verbalize that feeling that it's there. And it's really beautiful to be able to, to feel that, you know, and, and not be hindered from that. Yeah, I mean, the question of who who are you really? you know, is fundamental to, I think, was certainly my work. You know, I, I believe that your story is your glory. Even if it was a difficult story, it is the grist for the mill, grist for the soul mill, grist for everything, really. Um, I understand the desire oftentimes to dissociate from our story, but I think at some point along the way, we need to return back to the bones of the story and excavate it, make sense of it, and understand, you know, not only who we are 
in, in relation to where we come from, but how does where we come from inform the, that which calls us to move forward in our lives? You know, what is the relationship between our story, which includes our biological lineage and our sacred purpose in this lifetime? You know, is, are we called to do? It seems to me in, in reading your book that it had the energy, the aliveness of sacred purpose. It was like a calling to write this book. And, that, you know, I said in Soul Shaping, if you step on the right path at the wrong time, you've stepped on the wrong path. So if you had tried to write this probably five years earlier, it wouldn't have, it wasn't time. It had gestated. Is that, is that fair? I guess that's fair to say. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I certainly do believe in that sacred timing. And I wasn't ready to write the book five years ago. Maybe I thought I was, but I wasn't. And I'm grateful for any roadblocks that fell in the way, right? Because it was, it was moving me toward this moment at this time. And I do believe that I'm guided by my ancestral line. I feel them. I, I write in the book, I have an, you know, a walking ancestral meditation and I have learned to embrace that part of myself and I will go for walks and I will ask my ancestors to walk with me and I will call out the names of those I know. Um, and sometimes other names come to me, but I just believe in opening myself up to the, the very real possibility, um, the realness that they exist within me and they are for me. They are not against me. And they have, I believe, beckoned me to stand firmly in the soil of who I am and to be the one who is the catalyst for this ancestral healing, this generational healing. Um, I want to be that positive force to say I am moving along this journey of deeper understanding, awareness, of honoring all that I am, my journey as imperfect and challenging as it has been. I'm honoring every moment of it because it has made me who I am. And I love who I am. Finally, I love who I am. It's the fruits, wanna... fruits of your labor. There. It's the fruits of the labor, right? And mm. I so believe in truth. And if I may, just you know, um, I just wanted to read something that speaks to my heart from your book, You Manifestations, where you talk about don't fight for the facade, feign the fake, fight for the authentic the genuine, the real truth is the prayer that will transform the species. Truth is the path to collective healing. Truth is the only way home. Speak it now before it's too late. And I, that speaks to me so deeply as a human being, as an adoptee, as a, a soul in this physical, you know, experience is that I want, I know that truth is the only way home. If, if I can't speak my truth as a human being, as an adoptee, I'll never find my way home back to myself. I'll never feel at home in this, in this experience. And truth is indeed the only way home. And there is an urgency to speak it now, as you say here before it's too late. And that's what I urge all adoptees do, to do whatever that truth looks like for them. Speak it now before it's. Get it out of you. Move it on through. I mean, absolutely. 
it's it's so important on a cultural collective level and you know if we keep living in this fake masked and constructed culture you're not really in a place to notice the things that are happening then it's too late you know the species is challenged the species is in trouble things are happening that are they give us a good reason to sit down and truthfully ask the question will we survive as a species um and if we continue to move through the world without the honest and genuine sharing of our experience in whatever way we can um then it to me it's all connected to not being in the moment i i wrote in soul shaping again truth is the gateway to the moment um because i believe that you know, we, we they talk about presence a lot in the spiritual, so-called spiritual community, but often their version of presence is bifurcated, dissociated from humanists. Many of those things that I've written about patriarchal spirituality and the New Cage movement, and because I believe that when we're able to speak our truth in, in whatever way, something happens inside of us that unlocks something where we actually come more fully into reality, and from that place of reality, I feel like we are far better equipped to make the kind of changes that are necessary to preserve ourselves and our species. And uh, so there's a lot of layers to that little quote. And certainly one of them absolutely connects to the experience of being an adoptee as well. And I'm, I'm so glad you plucked that piece out. I've been thinking a lot about that piece lately. Your book comes out in October. Yes, uh, which is very exciting. And are you feeling, is, did you have the experience at the end of the book, now that you've seen the book, you've seen the galleys, the book's off the print, that there's just something else you wish you'd added to the book or something you wish you'd removed, or do you just feel like it's just right, right where it is? Oh my goodness. That's an amazing question. Um, I feel it's just right as, as it is, it's, it is what was to come forward in this time. And so I don't want to, I don't want to judge it. I want to, I want to love her and I want to bless her into the world and know and trust that she will land into the hands and into the hearts of those who need this message most, who need to be reminded of the power of truth and the urgency to speak truth as a constellation of adoptees, as the adoptee, you know, within the adoptee constellation of you know, understanding the urgency. Adoptees are four times more likely to unalive themselves than non-adoptees. Um, and studies country to country to country are mirroring very similar um, stats. You know, we have work to do in this area, and it is all about speaking truth. It is all about leaving behind a narrative that represents adop uh, adoption as sort of one-dimensional. It's all shiny, you know, it's... It's both shadow and shine, and we must speak to the shadow so that we can save lives, preserve lives, support lives, and help adoptees really come to a place of wholeness in their yep. lives. And so yep. um, I feel the book is what she needs to be in this moment at this time. And I, again, I bless her, and I'm really excited to share her. I hope a lot of people choose to adopt this book as part of their library. So everybody, if you get a chance, if you are an adoptee, or if you just know somebody who's an adoptee, or even if you've, on some level, as many of us have had, the experience of feeling somehow not embraced within society itself, um, shamed or shunned or 
made to feel like we didn't come from a good family and and you know that only the people from the good families have worth and of course that's all being deconstructed now that we learn more about what really goes on inside of people's homes um but this book is a real really champions uh, the human experience in in all of its forms and invites i think a lot of the practices are useful for adoptees but i think a lot of them are also useful for anybody who's been shamed or shunned in their experience in this lifetime. So check out this book, Early October, Let Us Be Greater, A Gentle Guided Path for Healing, to Healing for Adoptees, Michelle Madrid. Fantastic. Thanks, Michelle. Oh, thank you so much, Jeff. Adore you, adore you, adore you. Straight for my heart